Now this morning we're going to continue our sermon series called Bounce Back. In this series we're talking about resilience. We're talking about how we can bounce back after a crisis, bounce back after a trauma, how we can survive and even thrive in difficult and challenging circumstances. As we make our way through this series, we're also making our way through one of the most difficult and challenging periods in the life of Jesus. We started this journey a couple weeks ago. Last week we heard how Jesus sent the disciples, his 12 disciples, out into the world to preach and teach and heal. And it turns out that when Jesus sent out his 12 disciples to preach and teach and heal, they caught people's attention. A lot of people took notice of Jesus' ministry who hadn't taken notice before. One of the people who took notice of the ministry of Jesus and the disciples was the king. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story today. We're going to pick up the story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, in verse 14, as the king begins to notice what Jesus and his disciples are up to. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John whom I beheaded, has been raised. And the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, back when I was at Albion College, I was a Spanish language major. And as a Spanish language major, one of the things that I was most excited about was the opportunity to spend some time studying abroad. Now, the fall semester of my junior year, I traveled to the south of Spain. I went to the Spanish city of Seville, and I was so excited to finally get to spend some time living and studying in Spain. I was excited to have all of these new experiences. I was excited to learn new things. I was excited to have new adventures. At least that's what I thought until I got to Spain. And when I arrived in Spain, I discovered what everybody who decides to to study a foreign language far away from home eventually discovers. I discovered that studying a foreign language far away from home is really, really hard. It can be lonely. You're thousands of miles away from everybody you've ever met in your whole life. The only contact I had with my friends and family back in America was when I would go to the payphone outside the apartment building where I was living, and I would use a calling card card to call my mom on the phone, and that cost a fortune, so I only got to do it once a week. This was before we had all of the modern ways that we have of keeping in touch that people can, can use today, and so it was a lonely experience being all the way over there in Spain, and it was stressful. I seriously underestimated how much mental energy it was going to take to do everything from ordering a hamburger to asking for directions in a language that I turns out I didn't know nearly as well as I thought I did. And it was exhausting, too. Every day I had to walk 40 minutes across the city just to get to the place where my classes were. A 40-minute walk through a crowded city filled with people and traffic and strange sounds and strange smells. And when you put that together with the jet lag, a couple weeks into my time in Spain. I was feeling tired and stressed out and lonely and deeply, deeply homesick. And then something happened that completely turned around my study abroad experience. 
At the school where I was studying, there was a computer lab. This was back in the days before every student had a laptop, every student had their own computer. There was a computer lab, and the computer lab was mostly just for writing papers. But there, in the computer lab, there were a few computers. There was a special section of computers that were connected to the internet. Everybody say, ooh. Connected to the internet. Now, this was the 1990s. There was not very much that you could actually do on the internet. There was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there was no TikTok, there was have email addresses at this point. There wasn't much that you could do on the internet, but there was one thing I knew how to do. Albion College had created its own sort of primitive computer network. And one of the features of this primitive computer network was that you could log in and then you could see who else, what other Albion College students were also logged in in that moment. And if you saw somebody you recognized, you could send them a message. And if they wanted to, they could send you a message back and you could have a conversation in real time on the internet. Everybody say, ooh. I know, it blew my mind too. It was the most amazing thing anybody had ever experienced. You could talk to somebody on the other side of the world in real time on the internet without having to give AT&T a fortune in money, right? So, so one day when I was feeling stressed out and lonely and tired and homesick, I went to the computer lab and I got on one of those computers and I logged into the Albion College computer network and I looked to see who was online and I saw a name of somebody that I recognized, not somebody who was a close friend, but somebody I knew well enough to say hello. And so I sent the person a message. I said, hey there, how's it going? And they sent me a message back. Well, hello to yourself. It's fine. Aren't you in Spain right now? I said, yes. Is your mind blown? My mind is blown. I said, yes, I am in Spain right now. And they said, wow, that must be amazing. What is it like? And I said, actually, it's exhausting. And then I started telling the stories about ordering hamburgers and walking 40 minutes across the city every day. And my friend online said, that sounds really, really cool. Every day you get to walk across this foreign city. What is it like? What do you see as you're walking to class every day? every day and so I thought about it and then I started sharing all of the things that I walked past as I was walking across the city from my apartment to the place where my classes were. I said, well, one of the things that I walk past every day is this, this house that's called the House of Pilate. And the reason it's called that is because hundreds of years ago, some very rich Spanish person went to the Holy Land and they spent a fortune to bring back the actual staircase from the Roman governor's palace in Jerusalem, the, the staircase that would have been in the house where Pontius Pilate lived. And so every day the story goes, as I'm walking to class, I walk past this house where there are the actual stairs that Jesus would have climbed on the day he went to the cross. And my friend said, that's amazing. And I said, yeah, it kind of is. And then I said, and then I walked through the old Jewish quarter. And there are all these narrow little lanes and they're lined with orange trees and you can actually smell the oranges all year round. The whole city smells like oranges. And my friend said, that sounds amazing. And I said, yeah, I guess it kind of is. And then I said, I walked past the world's largest Gothic cathedral. I walked past this enormous church that's got buttresses flying all over the place. And there is this thousand year old bell tower that is taller 
taller than a football field is long. And it used to be, it used to be the place where they would call Muslims to prayer when Spain, this part of Spain, was ruled by the Moors from North Africa. And my friend said, that is amazing. I told the story of all the things I walked past on my 40-minute walk. And my friend online kept saying, that is amazing. That is amazing. That is amazing. And as I was telling the story, I realized that that is amazing. Like this 40-minute walk I get to take every day is, is a pretty amazing experience. Well, that night when I walked back to my apartment, I had a little more pep in my step. And I started, I started noticing things I hadn't noticed before. I enjoyed every minute of that 40-minute walk back to my apartment that night. I saw it in a completely different way. And now my friend and I, we started making these online conversations a regular thing. Every day I would go to the computer lab and I would log in and it was in the evening for me and it was in the morning back in Michigan and I would get the story of all the things that were happening back in Michigan and I would tell the story of all the things that were happening in Spain and I discovered I discovered that having somebody to tell my stories to completely changed my experience of studying abroad. Every time something happened, for good or for bad, my first thought was, I can't wait to tell this story. How am I going to tell this story? Having somebody to tell my story to completely changed my experience. It changed what could have been a stressful and exhausting season filled with homesickness into one of the greatest adventures, one of the most exciting and memorable experiences of my life. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but I had just accidentally discovered something that psychologists wouldn't figure out for at least another decade. It's only, it's only in the last 10 years or so that psychologists and researchers have begun to discover that one of the most powerful tools we have for building resilience is the power of storytelling. In the last decade or so, psychologists have discovered that telling stories is one of the most powerful ways in which we can learn how to bounce back from crisis and trauma. Telling stories is one of the most powerful ways in which we can build our ability to survive and thrive in difficult and challenging circumstances. Study after study after study have revealed that storytelling is one of the most powerful tools we have as we make our way through this world as human beings. They've discovered that hearing stories can make you more resilient. One of the things psychologists have discovered is that children who hear lots of stories, children who hear stories from the Bible, children who hear fairy tales, children who hear and remember stories about their parents and their grandparents are more resilient than children who hear fewer stories. And they've discovered that telling stories can make us more resilient. They've discovered that adults who have opportunities and take those opportunities to tell their stories, to tell their stories to students, to tell their stories to colleagues, to tell their stories to strangers in the coffee shop, adults who tell their stories are more resilient than adults who don't tell stories. And it matters, psychologists have discovered, it matters how we tell our stories and what kinds of stories we tell Somebody who tells this story, I don't know how I'm going to make it, is going to be less resilient than somebody who tells the story, I don't know how, but I'm going to make it. 
What psychologists have discovered in the last 10 years is that we become the stories that we tell. If we tell stories of resilience, we will become resilient. If we tell stories of bouncing back, we will learn, we will teach ourselves how to bounce back. All of this research is at the cutting edge of psychological human knowledge, but of course it's nowhere near the cutting edge of religious wisdom. Everything psychologists are discovering and so excited about today, all of this stuff Jesus knew and put into practice 2,000 years ago. In this morning scripture reading, we continue the story of this stressful and challenging time in the life and the ministry of Jesus. We started this, this journey two weeks ago when we heard how Jesus was rejected by the people in his hometown of Nazareth. And then last week, we continued the journey as we heard how Jesus sent out the 12 disciples to teach and to preach and to heal. And that would have been a difficult moment for Jesus too. Because at this time, Jesus was already beginning to attract attention. He was already beginning to make enemies. And so Jesus would have been worried about his disciples out there on the road, unprotected, alone. And Jesus also would have been tired. He continued his own ministry of teaching and preaching and healing. But now he had lost his 12 assistants. Now he had lost his 12 travel partners and his closest companions. And at this moment, when Jesus is at his most stressed out, his most exhausted, his most lonely and vulnerable, suddenly, suddenly he and the disciples receive this terrible news. John the baptizer has been killed. Now John the baptizer was the person, maybe other than his mother, who Jesus looked up to, the most important figure in his life. Now, John the baptizer was a prophet, and he was the cousin of Jesus, and it seems like he may also have been Jesus' teacher and Jesus' mentor. When Jesus was ready to begin his ministry, he went to be baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River. And when Jesus begins preaching, when he begins preaching sermons and teaching the people about the love of God, the sermons that he preaches sound almost exactly like the sermons that John the baptizer had been preaching for years. Nobody, nobody in the world was more respected by Jesus than John the baptizer. But of course, John was a prophet. And John did what prophets always do. He rubbed very powerful people the wrong way. John had a, a message of repentance. He called on people to repent of their sins and prepare to receive the kingdom of God. He called on everybody to repent of their sins, including the king, especially the king, specifically the king. And the king did not appreciate being called out on his sins by some wild-eyed, woolly-haired desert prophet. And finally, finally, the king decided he was going to silence John's voice by removing John's head. And just at this moment when Jesus is alone, just at this moment when his, his travel partners and his closest companions are far away from him, suddenly news breaks, news sweeps across the land that John the baptizer has lost his life, has been executed by the king. And when the disciples hear what has happened to John, their first thought is, I need to get back to Jesus. Now, they would have known that this would have been a heartbreaking moment for Jesus. They knew that Jesus would be sad and traumatized by this news, and they also would have worried about Jesus. 
The disciples would have said, if, if the king is killing prophets, then maybe Jesus is next on the list. I need to get back to Jesus. He can't be alone right now. And so all of the disciples hurry back to Jesus from all the various places that they've made their way to. They hurry back and they gather around Jesus. And that's where we continue the story this morning. The disciples are gathered around Jesus. And that moment that should have been a joyful reunion, that moment that should have been a, a celebration, a homecoming, that moment would have been filled with pain and sadness and anxiety and fear. And in that moment of pain and sadness and anxiety and fear, what does Jesus say to his disciples? He looks at them and he says, tell me your stories. Tell me what you've been up to. Tell me what kind of adventures you've been having as you've been teaching and preaching and healing. And so slowly at first, the disciples start to tell Jesus their adventures. Well, Jesus, let me tell you about the woman we healed. Jesus, let me tell you about what happened when we spoke to a demon in your name. Jesus, let me tell you about the time we got run out of a village in the middle of the night. Jesus, let me tell you about the time that a man invited us to spend the night in his barn. What he didn't tell us is that we would be sharing the barn with the world's most flatulent donkey. We didn't get a moment's sleep all night long. The disciples tell Jesus their stories. They tell him stories about miracles they witnessed. They tell him stories about the power of God. They tell him stories about narrow escapes and, and miraculous events. They tell him story after story after story. And as they do, their hearts get lighter and their faith gets deeper. As they tell Jesus these stories about the power of God, they come to believe in the power of God and they find the strength and the courage that they are going to need to continue this ministry even as they are surrounded by enemies, even as they are feeling afraid, even as they have every reason in the world to be anxious. Telling their stories makes all the difference. Psychologists have discovered that we become the stories that we tell. And if you in the last few months have found yourself in a heartbroken and soul-shattered place, one of the ways that you can begin to find healing and peace, one of the most powerful ways you can begin to bounce back is to find somebody to tell your story to. Now, you can type it into Facebook and post it on social media, and that's okay, but even better is if you can find somebody to tell your story to in real time. Find somebody you can chat with online. Pick up the phone and call. Call a friend and say, let's go out for coffee. I haven't seen you in a while. Can you come over and visit? And then tell your stories. And if you are finding yourself at that soul-shattered and heartbroken place and you don't even know how you're going to tell your story or what story you have to tell, the good news of the Christian faith is this. You don't have to come up with your own story. You can always borrow this one. They hung him on the cross. They hung him on the cross. Everybody know. They hung him on the cross for me. One day when I was lost, they hung him on the cross they hung him on the cross for me. He rose up from the grave. He rose up from the grave. He rose up from the grave. He rose up from the grave for me. One day when I was lost, 
They hung him on the cross. He rose up from the grave for me. They hung him on the cross. They laid him in the tomb. He rose up from the grave. That's Jesus' story, but it's not just Jesus' story. That story belongs to everybody who puts their trust in him. That story belongs to everyone who claims him as Lord. That story is Jesus' story, but it can be your story too, whenever you want it. Now there's an epilogue to the sermon today. There's one more part of the story that I haven't shared with you that I suppose I probably should tell you. When I got back from Spain, when I went back to Albion College, I continued my conversations with my online, my online friend, only now we got to talk to each other in the real world, which was also pretty cool, although not as exciting as talking online halfway across the world. And a couple months after I got back to Michigan, not only did we keep on talking, but we started dating. And we've been together every si ever since. Ever since that time, Jen has been my, my travel partner and my constant companion. And she doesn't always enjoy being my, my travel partner and my constant companion because sometimes as we are having adventures traveling around the world, I do this thing that drives her up a wall. Sometimes we will be having an adventure and something will go terribly wrong. The airline will lose our luggage. We'll miss a train and get stranded in the middle of nowhere. And in that moment when we're feeling all of this anxiety and everything has gone horribly wrong, sometimes Jen will turn and she will look at me and she will say, you are loving this, aren't you? Because you, I can see you are already trying to figure out how you're going to turn this into a sermon, aren't you? And she's not wrong. I'm, I'm hard to travel with because my favorite moments, my favorite travel moments are those moments when something goes terribly wrong. My favorite moments are those moments when all of our plans go out the window. I don't get down when those moments happen. Instead, in my mind, I start telling the story. I got fi start figuring out how am I going to make this into a story that turns people's hearts to God. When things go horribly wrong, I don't let it get me down because I have come to believe, I have discovered, I have learned that every moment is a resurrection story. If only you can figure out how to tell it. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for our travel partners and our constant companions, the people who put up with us on our journey. And God, we give you thanks for the stories that bring the power of resurrection into our own hearts and into our own lives. And we pray that the story of Jesus would be our story. That the story of the cross, that the story of the tomb, that the story of the stone rolled away, that the story of the empty grave, that the story of being raised in glory would not just be Jesus' story, but it would belong to us as well. God, begin to raise us today from the tomb. In Jesus we pray. Amen.